Hi, my name is Yasmin Tarehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East and Africa. We'll learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey from the personal to the professional and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Islam Shelki, the co-founder and CEO of PayMob, the leading digital payments provider in the MENA region. Islam started his career during his studies at the American University in Cairo to build PayMob, which has grown to process millions of transactions through the online and offline digital solutions. I'm super excited to welcome Islam to the show today. So welcome, Islam. Hello. Welcome, Islam. Pleasure to be with you. So Islam, can you tell us what your value proposition is, maybe in your own words, with our audience before we get started? Well, in the simplest form, we try to help businesses and consumers perform digital transactions and give them better access to financial services. And why did you start this company and why did you focus on payments? Actually, it's a very interesting story. I mean, the, actually, we, we started payments by complete mistake. We, we, we had no intention of building a payments company whatsoever. I mean, the founding team, we met in university and we were thinking of building this social commerce play. We actually had a name for it. We, we used to call it Social Tab. It was never uh, launched, uh, unfortunately, because when we were in the final staging of launching this uh, product, we uh, we went to banks and to payment companies because we wanted to integrate payment uh, infrastructure into this uh, e-commerce uh, product. And the problem is that we realized that the payment offering at that time, and this was late 2014, uh, the payment offering that the banks were offering that, that time was, wasn't was catered for the digital economy. And then we realized that the onboarding was so slow, the APIs were very cumbersome, the pricing model was extremely high and has set up fees and maintenance fees. And then we took, we took like a step back and we thought that if we were bullish about the digital economy and, because we, want, and we wanted to participate in as an e-commerce player, and if there is no payment infrastructure, how would we see like hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of independent merchants and, and entrepreneurs who want to sell a good or 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 or, or help their customers with a with a service? How how would how would they be enabled in a in a digital payment uh, infrastructure? So so we took the step back and we said that we're going to pivot and that we are going to pay this infrastructure and put in it everything that we wish we had and then give this infrastructure to everyone who wants to uh, to build to build something is this kind of similar to like a stripe or what would you say is like a comparable product maybe you know other products in in market well yes it's like stripe meets square kind of uh, because we have like the pos and the uh, and the online so that's mostly that's mostly it and you know when was the moment you realized you had product market fit you started this when you were at university more or less how long did it take you to really um feel that you had the right product market fit i mean building an infrastructure sometimes people build too much right and their you know their end clients can't afford it and then sometimes they don't build enough right so i'm curious like what kind of customers were you 
aiming to go after? And when was the moment that you realized you had product market fit? Yes, the problem with, with payment companies is that there is a very long lead time before you get to the market. So it's not like a product that likes, like a website that you can just uh, pull a couple of weeks on and, and you launch and have an MVP and see uh, how it goes. The problem is that for us to launch, we had to pass by a lot of banks. We were kicked out of three of the major, the biggest banks in Egypt. Because, I mean, I wanted to realize three people still at university going to bank officials, telling them, well, guys, the payment solution that you've been offering for the past 10 to 15 years isn't good enough and you need to change it. I mean, so, I mean, we had our fair... Uh, amount of laughs and uh, <laughs> and jokes. I mean, people thought that were 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 definitely crazy. So uh, definitely, it took us some time for people to realize that we're actually serious about what we're doing. And actually, for us to be able to reach this moment is that we there there were four banks that actually offered the service that we need to integrate with. We failed with three and we had only one option with the last bank. I mean, if this bank said no, we would have never launched. So we, we, we said that before we actually go to them, we're going to go and sit with their biggest clients and sign with them an MOU that just says that we like what these guys have showed us. And hopefully if the bank adopted their product, we might be interested to use it. So there is nothing binding, just... A very, very simple MOU. It was a one page, but we wanted to have it signed in order to, to just showcase to the bank that there is interest in what we're saying. And some of your clients are really genuinely interested and in that they sign the piece of paper. Yeah. So I'm super curious. So when that happened, what did the other banks do? Did they follow this, you know, the, the first bank? What, what was the reaction of the market? Well, the problem is that it takes us from the meeting that we showed the bank, the last bank that that we have this uh, MOU signed, from the moment they this meeting happened till launch, we took 14 months. And this was the bank actually very excited about launching. So they weren't pushing back. I mean, from the moment they said, yes, we want to do this, till the moment we launched, was, <laughs> there is a 14 months kind of lead time to that. And unfortunately, this project that we launched, I mean, it wasn't a success at all. And right now we, we actually don't have. It. So, I mean, we spent like 18, more than 18 months building something and convincing the banks and all of this. And once we launched it after 14 months, it didn't scale and it didn't actually have the the right, uh, I mean, the, the, right, the figures that we were hoping for actually didn't. Uh, so, I mean, we came to the realization that we almost, almost wasted around two years of our lives. And actually we delayed uh, our graduation because we, we had a gap year because we wanted to focus on the business of so convinced our parents not to graduate and have almost ruined our professional career and actually spent some money and we didn't achieve anything. So, I mean, it was a significant frustration two years down the road because there was a huge, yeah, I mean, we had this huge hope because it took us a lot of time to, to launch. So we thought that they were going to change the world. 
and then this first product flopped completely. Wow. You know, it's so interesting. I think a lot of companies and a lot of people wouldn't have the stomach to spend that much time working on a product, you know, that they couldn't see immediate results uh, with. And so I just find it really fascinating. I, I find that a lot of founder stories, you know, have these these years or these many months of I, I'm not going to call it a failure because every every time that something doesn't work, it's always a lesson. So I'm sure that, you know, even though you spent 18 months on this first uh, product, you probably learned a lot, right, about your product roadmap, about your ecosystem, your customer, uh, your team, right? Like a lot of dynamics of like how to work together as a team. So yeah, so I'm, I'm sure that looking back, you know, even though it was probably a long time, do you feel like you, there was something that you took away from that time? Well, I mean, as as you said, of course, it adds to the experience. Definitely, we we took this lesson and we 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 sat together as as a team and we said, I mean, what did we do right and what did we miss, and how can we take this lesson and just put it in the DNA of the company and try to to use what we've reached and make something big out of it. So, I mean, that that was the moment whereby we said, I mean. We still believe in what we're doing. I mean, we still believe in, in 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 the end goal. Maybe we chose a wrong path, or maybe we executed in the wrong way with the wrong partners. But we were a big and still big believers in the end goal. So we said, as long as we still believe in this goal, then there has to be another way to do it. And clearly, we we, we like bet the house on it. So I mean failure wasn't an option kind of so i mean we were just determined to try one option other option and just try to do it at the end because this was our only like uh, hope of success because we 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 have done a lot of sacrifices in order to uh, to reach here what about the sacrifices i think you know the show is called startup confessional so i like to kind of peel back the layer behind the machine and really talk about like, what is it, what are these sacrifices? And also what are some of the, the kind of the adversity that you had to go through on your journey towards building PayMob? Like these are the things I think a lot of people don't talk about. And I think it's just important for people to recognize that it's not always about the end result. Uh, the process also comes with ups and downs and a lot of adversity. You shared obviously one example um, about this this product that you worked on for 18 months. But yeah, I'm just curious, you know, what else do you feel like, you know, people wouldn't know necessarily about what you had to sacrifice or the adversity that you had to, you had a, as a team had to deal with and you individually had to deal with? Well, I mean, definitely, as you said, I mean, some of like the stories and the hype that's about entrepreneurship and starting your own company and being your own boss and all of this definitely it comes with uh, with its benefits, but uh, definitely, I mean, I was talking to uh, uh, a younger colleague that that was saying that uh, told me he wants to uh, he wants to launch his own startup, and I he's around twenty four years old. Just, uh, we started a bit a bit younger than him, and I was telling him that if you truly believe in what you're doing, and you're planning on wasting the best years of your life. So, I mean, you're 24, you probably would cannot leave what you're doing at least for a decade. 
So if you're planning to waste 10 years, best, the best, maybe the best 10 years of your life sitting in the office, working with your colleagues on this and going to meetings and you feel that this is something you want to do, definitely go for it. But if you feel that this is going to be, you're going to be miserable, then you don't believe enough in the idea. So definitely you're going to sacrifice your whole life. Your whole existence is going to be, I mean, summed up in this company. You're going to work for 18 to 20 hours for like the foreseeable future. And then you're going, going to hire a lot of people. You're going to convince a lot of people to leave their careers and hopefully you're hiring great people. So most probably they're leaving great opportunities in order to come join uh, the team and be part of the journey. So you have to be extremely believing in this. And this has nothing to do with the financial benefit that you are getting because, I mean, probability says most of startups are going to fail. So, so I mean, if, if people are hoping for money, there are a lot of other professions that will actually make you rich without actually this uh, having this huge uh, risk. Mm, yeah, it's so, so fascinating. Uh, you know, I think that also another thing we don't talk about when it comes to, to being a founder of a company is what you learn about yourself in the process. Like, I think that so much of life is about learning about who you are. And I, every time I've talked to so many founders, even ones who have companies that just failed, they said, I, I learned more about myself and that experience than I have in my, in any other period of my life. And so, you know, I think that that's also just like a piece that a lot of people don't talk about. It's like, yeah, you could spend your twenties, you know, doing other stuff, but how deeply will you get a chance to really connect and know yourself? Um, so I'm just curious, you know, has that been an experience for you? Like, do you feel like you are more self-aware maybe <laughs> than other people in your age group? No, definitely. I mean, the experiences and the ups and downs and this, uh, whether like all the, the, the good times and, and the bad times that, uh, that, that you see is just something definitely that adds to your character. And definitely because you don't do this alone, you have a team and co-founders and founding team and uh, you come to realize that this bond, I mean, so, I mean, that's why we, we, we feel that we're more of a family because I mean, for the past like five years, we spent time together more than any other people in, in our lives. So, I mean, this, the, I mean, the team becomes more of the family because these are the ones that you, that you sit with for the absolute majority of the day. These ups and downs, and especially the downs, are the the ones that actually makes you feel that you've chosen the right track and you've chosen the right partners because, I mean, they always say in a bull market, everybody's happy. I mean, well, you're all succeeding and everything is great. And, and this is actually definitely as an, a criteria for our investors. So, I mean, we don't like, like to partner with investors that are going to cheer us up when things are going uh, in the right direction because this is going to happen. I look at this investor and I say, is this the kind of partner that when I have a tough, a tough quarter, is he the, the, the type of partner that's going to sit with me and try to sort this out and, and help us? Or is this someone that's going to take advantage of this? So, so definitely uh, it adds 
it adds a lot to your to your character and you realize a lot of things i mean i've never thought that i mean not in my wildest dream i i would see that before i was 30 i mean i'm not yet 30 and the team has grown to more than 650 people i've never not in my wildest dreams i thought that the, this company is going to employ more than 600 people wow so exciting <laughs> So Islam, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, kind of like the, how your priorities have shifted based on the stage of the company and like how you have changed and how things have changed since you raised your first round of funding. Yes. So, I mean, definitely for every stage you have, I mean, so for the beginning you want to exist. So there was like, we want to be a company rather than a cool presentation. So you're mostly focused on getting to the market, on launching something. So, I mean, everybody just, you're like working for something for a year and a half and everybody says, well, what, what's the, what do they, what do you do? So, I mean, you say, hopefully we're going to launch this and that. So definitely at this stage, you want to go to the market, you want to launch uh, something. So that's, that's the first thing. And you want to, uh, uh, like prove that what you're what you're saying or what you have been promising can be can be delivered. So that's a very important uh, phase. And the second thing is that you want to uh, you want to prove that this has scale. So you start identifying how can I scale given that you don't have any resources because you still didn't raise or you raised a very small amount. So I mean, you try to learn that you're going to say no more than you're going to say yes so how can you be extremely laser focused on what is the mission what why am i doing this company and every time you go back to this and say we're doing this because we want to help the merchant we want to increase the gdp of the merchant we want to help this digital economy so you need to have every product and every initiative that you spend time on needs to be reflecting into this mission so that that has been this discipline. I mean, definitely we've we've done things that didn't do, and these were all uh, mistakes, and it consumes time and it consumed resources. So this is something that we've definitely learned, and definitely the experience with raising capital, and and depends on the stage. In different types of uh, of investors, they have different requirements and, and different approach so this experience of course is is, uh, is something uh, of huge value and right now uh, you try to teach yourself that I mean you have the tendency to do everything on your own because I mean we were six for a long period of time and then we've grown to like 30 40 people and from late 2019 till now we've like went from 50 people to like 650 people so the idea is that right now you try to empower and delegate and try to trust people more to actually do things and do mistakes i don't mind that and you try to surround yourself with people that are more capable that are more experienced i mean one of uh, one of my dear uh, mentors tell me, I mean, you will only be successful when you go to to a room and you feel that you're in the least smart person on on the table. That's 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 the definition of success. When you surround yourself with people that 
are far more smarter and far more experienced than you. This is when you realize that you have a successful team. And actually, I set up to this. Whenever I see someone that actually have something to offer more than the team and more than myself, I'm very keen to make him or her join the team in order to make use of their talents, whether this is in marketing, commercial, and growth, and product, finance. So, I mean, I came out from the university, so and I'm a mechanical engineer, so definitely I don't know anything about accounting or or finance. So, and I cannot learn learn this. I'll, not be, I'll never be better than someone who spent the last 15 years uh, being a finance uh, head for a major FNCG company or a major mobile network operator. So definitely we like to, this is the time where you try to get people that are good at what they do and give them the freedom, the, the authority and the flexibility to actually do what they do best. I love that, like empowering people to really just excel at, at whatever you know function or role that they're in. And I love, that was actually an advice that my mentor gave me as well, like be the dumbest person in the room. Exactly. <laughs> which is, which is difficult, I think at times, uh, you know, but, but also, you know, definitely worth it long-term. So I love that. Islam, can we talk a little bit about how the pandemic may have impacted your business? Like how did you guys deal with uh, the the pandemic and the crisis, it, did it affect you at all? I mean, since you're a digital payments company, perhaps it didn't, but I'm just, you know, curious. No, it had a huge effect. Definitely the pandemic is an unfortunate event that made a lot of families and people all over the globe uh, suffer. But I mean, on our end, being in the digital uh, industry and specifically in digital payments, of course, it was a huge blessing because this wave of digitization, digital transformation that happened, I believe, I mean, what what we 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 were forecasting that people is going to do in two, three years, all of a sudden, there was a demand and requirement that this should be done in the next two to three months. I mean, this quarter, when the lockdown happened in Egypt, we saw our onboarding rates, merchant onboarding rates increasing by 450%. And so a lot of merchants that were only focused on cash and were only focused on brick and mortar, they didn't have online shops. The moment they realized that all of the shops are, are, are closed and the digital uh, channel is the only channel whereby they can communicate and, and sell. And this is the only revenue making channel. They started putting some effort in and they started using our services. So, I mean, definitely it was a huge catalyst for for uh, digital payments. I mean, once people are in their home, they started ordering online, they started consuming uh, and utilizing these apps that that, that have our payment gateway uh, inside for, for payments. So we, we said, we found that a lot of uh, merchant, uh, merchants did a lot of... Uh, uh, traffic when it comes to the COVID. So that, so that was a huge bless, blessing. The problem was that we had to hire, train people in, within the pandemic. And definitely we had to manage the company and we had to ensure that everybody is doing the job in a safety 
environment because for me, I mean, team is number one. I mean, we 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 all about the team, and 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 this is my this is this is something that was worrying me because I didn't want to push people and then to like have someone contracting the virus because they they were pushed and because they wanted to like uh, uh, do their targets or something like this. So so this keeping this balance and 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 enforcing this culture and adapting to this was something uh, uh, for us very challenging. The good thing is that already before the pandemic, for the development side, we had a work from home policy. So what we've done is that I asked our technology team to actually just train the whole company on what they already were doing and, and all of the tools that they were using and to collaborate and to do. So what we have been doing on the tech part, we just very fast rolled out on, a, on the whole company. We, I mean, since March uh, 2020, we've closed our offices and it's still not officially open. Some of the people now come to the office, but we asked people officially not to come. So, I mean, and we said that we're going to to stay this way until end of 21, until we we find that people are vaccinated and it's uh, and it's normal to go back to the office. And we've. Uh, completely uh, cancelled any uh, group meetings or anything because we don't want to have any mass uh, gatherings for the whole team and so forth and we uh, we tried to uh, to adapt and i believe like just to tell you we've in our immersion based grown 50 times within the pandemic wow <laughs> from jan 2020 till now we did 50x. We're 50. Our mission network has grown 50 times. That is so awesome and very inspiring. <laughs> Amazing. And I love uh, the thoughtfulness that you put behind your workforce and making sure that their health and wellness is like the biggest priority because I think a lot of people forget that. So just really, really congrats that, that you know, that last year worked out the way it did for you. So... Islam, I'd like to uh, close this out with one or two more questions, but I wanted to ask what sort of things have surprised you the most on this journey? You've been at this game now for many years. If you look back, like, what has surprised you? Genuinely, the most thing that I'm surprised about is that how people that has will, they manage to, I mean, personally grow. And I mean change i mean whatever they learn so fast and adapt and personally i mean do stuff that i genuinely don't didn't realize so i mean we, we hired someone to handle our call center operations and this guy didn't know how to code i mean fast forward two and a half years and he's one of the best developers in in best developers at paymo I mean, this, this this kind of personal growth and of uh, sense of ownership and, and devotion is the thing that actually extremely surprised me. I mean, wow. not in my wildest dreams, I would just, I mean, I feel so humbled going to the office and just sitting with my own humble opinion, some of the best minds in the country and solving all of these complex problems and these products that, I mean, one of our products 
we have like more than 10 million people using it. So, I mean, whatever you do, you need to realize that this is going to affect the payment behavior of more than 10 million people, which is around 10% of the population. So, so that's, that's a huge uh, uh, thing we have going. And definitely we need to, uh, to spend a lot of time and to have a lot of great minds in order to, to scale this and, and solve for this. So, I mean, this devotion and, 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 and growth is something that uh, I'm, I'm extremely amazed and, and the amount of smart people actually might not be coming from great universities and might be coming from places that you didn't know that i mean you can find that you some a developer that speaks perfect english and all of this because those people just stayed i mean a lot of nights just trying to personally grow and to learn more and this is this this ability is something that strikes I love that so much and very inspiring. So uh, for those listening, yeah, <laughs> anything is possible, right? Anything is possible. Yes, definitely. I, I always tell people, I mean, we can definitely move mountains. I And I, I, every single meeting, I'll tell them we can move mountains. Because, I mean, back then we were onboarding like 60 merchants a month. And I was telling them, guys, we can onboard 600 and then they will all laugh. And then six months later, we're onboarding 600 merchants a month. And I'm just telling them, there is this 10x, there is another order of magnitude. We're going to onboard 6,000 merchants a month. And they just completely laugh at me because they don't think it's possible. And we do it. And for every order of magnitude, we had to rebuild the company from the, from the grounds up. And this will and this... Uh, 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 sense of doing what we are set to do and devotion i believe is is the thing that uh, that 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 you look for and and you want in your team um, how do you stay so calm and motivated i mean is there anything that you do to take care of your wellness and well-being in this game What's like, tell us <laughs> what your schedule is like, you know, in the morning. Um, how do you prepare for your your kind of well-being in general? Well, first of all, I don't have any social media accounts. So <laughs> I, I don't use Facebook, Instagram, whatever. I don't have any of those. So I try to keep extremely focused. because, And generally, I try to focus on the mission. And whenever we have like a down time where the, there's something that's that's not working as uh, we want or that if we are in a not in a good position I try just to regroup and say I mean our mission is that we want to do something good and definitely we believe if we're doing what's best for our clients in this case the merchant we're 100% sure that we're going to overcome that and we always put ourselves in, in the position of our clients and because we truly believe that what we're doing actually has a good impact on the merchant and on the SME, and since the SMEs are this, uh, uh, this they are the ones who are powering the economy, so we truly believe in uh, what we're doing and that this is bringing good to actually a lot of people. So 
that's actually what motivates us and what uh, what's keep us uh, going. Amazing. That's so inspiring. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Islam. It's been so lovely to talk to you. And I'm just so proud of all the accomplishments that Pema has had and continues to have. And Islam, can you tell us like any places that you point? I actually, let me rephrase this question because <laughs> I often ask it with people who have social media. So where can people find more information about Paymob? Uh Well, definitely it's, uh, you can see this. I mean, whether in interviews we've done definitely on media and uh, we are intending to have more of a blog on our website in order to share some of like the experiences and or the things that we've done or done well or actually failed in so people can take uh, take notice of that so but we, we've been always trying to say that but we've, we're so late in this so but definitely we're looking forward to launch this and hopefully this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, likewise. Well, thank you so much, Islam, for your time. And uh, we will include the link to Paymob in the show notes and anything else that is relevant. So thanks again. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Yasmin, for the great uh, interview. And I enjoyed it very well. Thank you. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals. 